Welcome to the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Gerald Borgay. Welcome, Valley boys and girls, to another episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay. And we are switching things up a little bit for episode 43. We're actually going to start with our G-rated segment because later on we are going to have Matt Moore, a.k.a. HP Basketball on Twitter, uh, on the show to talk a little bit about uh, the Devin Booker hero ball conversation because there was a little bit of a Twitter war that was being waged on Sunday between uh, Matt and Suns fans everywhere. So I wanted to have him on the show because I participated in that. And I promise we don't have to defend Devin Booker after every good game that he has where the Suns lose. But it felt like something we're talking about because the last two games, Book has gone off and the Suns have not been able to win. I don't think those are, that's a causal relationship, but it is worth um, talking to Matt and getting his side of things because on Twitter, it can be hard to express what you're fully meeting. So I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, give him a chance to explain his side of the equation and uh, talk a little bit about Devin Booker, um, what's going on with Chris Paul, what the Suns need to do in game six in order to force a game seven back in Phoenix. And uh, we'll get all into the NBA finals with Matt in a little bit, but I wanted to start off with this G rated segment because uh, space jam two just came out on Friday, or I guess it's Space Jam, A New Legacy, or whatever the hell it's called. But uh, I watched it over the weekend, like many of you did. And like many of you did, I had mixed feelings about it. Um, Like it's, you know, I'm biased. I will full out admit that I have bias in this regard because being a 90s child growing up, Space Jam was the shit. Like it was awesome. It was Looney Tunes and it was Michael Jordan and nobody on the face of planet earth at that time was bigger than Michael Jordan. Um, You know, say what you want about his acting abilities, say what you want about the movie being a bad movie, but it was a movie for kids and being a kid in the nineties growing up watching that movie, absolutely loved it. Loved Space Jam. It's a classic. I don't care what anyone says on this, on this matter. Um, I know there are a lot of people that say Space Jam is a garbage movie whether they're older, whether they were kids, I don't care. Space Jam is great. Can't touch Space Jam. Um, So I was, I was optimistic about this new Space Jam. Um, I know a lot of people were saying, you know, there's always going to be that pushback, whether it was Kobe or LeBron in talks to, to make this Space Jam sequel, like, you know, nobody should ever make a Space Jam sequel. Like that's Michael Jordan. Nobody's worth like, if anyone was going to make a Space Jam sequel, I'm glad it's LeBron. He would be deserving of that ridiculous threshold that we're setting for this movie that's actually not really that great if you're looking at it critically but like I was excited for it because I enjoy kids movies like I'm not gonna lie I fucking love Disney I love Pixar I love watching those movies and you can make a movie that is for kids without it being just for kids like you can make a movie that adults will enjoy too even if it's a kids movie this was not that it tried it came close but just between kind of like the uneven acting and then you know some of the whiplash from this story so we'll, we'll get into that but like number one question on everyone's mind obviously 
is LeBron a good actor? Was he good in this? Not really. And it was kind of disappointing, honestly, because he was really good in Trainwreck. Um, it was more of a supporting role in Trainwreck, obviously, but, uh, and that was a couple of years ago now, but he was pretty good in that. He didn't seem like a bad actor at all. Uh, this was not that. This was pretty bad. Like it was there, it wasn't all bad, but just it was pretty bad. And I'm not saying MJ was some, you know, Oscar winning actor either. <laughs> if you go back and watch the original Space Jam now without the nostalgic glasses on, but like LeBron was probably LeBron was worse a little bit. Um, and I <laughs> I swear we don't have to relate this to the GOAT conversation in any way. We don't have to compare Space Jams and how that measures up Michael Jordan versus LeBron. We really don't. It has nothing to do with the basketball. So we're not going to do that here. And I understand that this is a grown 30-year-old man telling you his opinion of a kid's movie. So take it or leave it. You can skip ahead to the basketball stuff if you want. But if you are curious about the new Space Jam, no, LeBron is not as good an actor as Michael Jordan. I'm very interested to see which LeBron stands are saying that because you kind of have to be if you're saying if you watch this movie and think LeBron is a better actor than Michael Jordan I don't know but um I like that it did have a good message about being yourself and being true to who you are and embracing that because like the original Space Jam didn't really have like a message like that like it was it didn't have like this family um kind of message to it I guess family friendly message that's what I'm trying to say um this one did and it was you know obviously not lebron's son actual son in the movie but um it was all about his relationship with his son and allowing him to be him instead of being you know lebron's son and this basketball player so that was nice i guess um my my nitpicks for this children's movie again i understand how ridiculous this is that we're doing this but my nitpicks are that like it felt like the looney tunes were kind of sidelined in their own movie because Warner Brothers had this weird obsession with like flaunting all of their IP. Like there's one sequence that'll just give you whiplash as it's going through these different Warner Brothers universes to pull these Looney Tunes characters out of because at the start of the movie, the Looney Tunes characters have left all but bugs have left Toon World and they're all in these floating across these various Warner Brothers IP. So there's like, um, you know, Casablanca, there's DC, there's um, all kinds of shit. But like, there's this one sequence where they throw in Casablanca, they throw in Rick and Morty, they throw in the DC superheroes. Like, it's a lot. And I <laughs> like, even for a kid's movie, the whiplash from that was something else. Um, I mean, it's all like, I swear, in like a two or three minute segment where they're rounding the team up together. Um, but that was kind of the most that the most shine that the Looney Tunes got because otherwise it was like here's a King Kong cameo here's the Iron Giant here's you know all kinds of other references to Warner Brothers movies from the past so um, it kind of felt like the Looney Tunes didn't get enough shine which is unfortunate because like the whole point of Space Jam is superstar NBA legend plus Looney Tunes equals you know kids are gonna love it um the graphics were pretty good. I wasn't crazy about the way that they did the graphics for the Looney Tunes when they gave them their kind of vamp up. It made them, you know, super 3D and computer animated. It was fine, but um, not really for me. I, I prefer the the old school Looney Tunes 
but again, 90s kid who grew up watching Looney Tunes, not just Space Jam, but Looney Tunes in general. So maybe I'm biased on that. Um, yeah, I, I think it's still going to be a very enjoyable movie for kids. I, I think that they'll get a kick out of it, especially if they do, if they have seen the original Space Jam and like that, or even if they haven't, I feel like they'll still enjoy it because it's LeBron and it's Looney Tunes. And there were some funny parts like, um, maybe I'm just stupid, but like <laughs> when Daffy tells Yosemite Sam to shoot the ball and he pulls out his guns and starts shooting the ball, I I, I laughed. I won't lie, I laughed. I know it's, it's pretty basic humor, but I thought that was funny. Um, it also wasn't afraid to take some digs at LeBron and like how often he left, you know, the heat and then the cat or the calves and then the heat and then the calves again. <laughs> like it, it was funny. It, it took some shots at the King and it was nice to see that he was okay and on board with that kind of, uh, you know, self-deprecating humor a little bit. Um, there is a Michael Jordan segment that I don't want to ruin if you haven't seen it yet. Um, but just remember when you see it, that the part with Michael Jordan is, fantastic what they did with that um and that's honestly not a spoiler about mj being in the movie or not being in the movie that's just take that with a grain of salt take it for what it is because it is uh i i liked what they did there um but if you're asking me would i compare it to the original no the original still number one in my book you can't go wrong with the og space jam i just felt like it didn't do as good a job of building up lebron's mythos and maybe i'm not a kid so i'm not affected by it as much but like if you compare the intro sequence summing up mj's career from space jam to the intro sequence with lebron summing up his career in in the beginning of this like one is just way cooler one is like iconic and the other one's just kind of like, that's interesting, but maybe the music is part of it too. Cause like the original space jam song is a classic <laughs> and like the song that they played for this intro is just like not memorable in any way. So I think that was probably part of it. It was a very cool intro, just, you know, reliving LeBron's highlights, but you can do that on YouTube without, um, you know, you were hoping for something higher quality from a Space Jam movie, especially because everyone remembers that intro title sequence from the original Space Jam. I don't think they're going to remember this one. Um, and I don't think this is going to have the same staying power as the original, if, if that's your thing. I know a lot of people think that both Space Jams are probably trash, but um, I don't. And I feel like one was clearly better than the other. Uh, take that for what it's worth as a 90s kid who is probably biased but for my g rating for this movie uh i would give it a 6.5 out of 10 it's not terrible it's just below good like honestly maybe the 6.5 is a little generous because if you're looking at it critically the acting is pretty bad for most of it um the plot is nonsensical which you know it's a space jam movie who cares um but yeah i'd say a 6.5 i still enjoyed it it just wasn't a good movie and that's kind of the mo for space jam movies but one was just a lot better in that regard i guess i don't know um but before we bring on matt more reminder that the valley of the suns podcast is brought to you by manscaped go to manscaped.com put in that promo code fansided20 they've got the lawnmower 4.0 which is sweet it's optimized it's waterproof you can groom in the shower you don't have to worry about making a mess and that's the way to do it. It's got the wireless charging system and no, you shouldn't use what you use on your face for your private parts. Give yourself the respect you deserve. Go to manscaped.com, fansided20, 
20% off and free shipping. And you'll be happy that you got yourself the lawnmower 4.0. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Matt Moore after this. Welcome Valley boys and girls to another episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the fan side podcast network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay, and I'm very excited today because we are joined by a special guest, Matt Moore of the Action Network and the host of the Locked On Nuggets podcast. Matt, how are you doing today? Doing well. How are you? Doing pretty great. It's uh, nice to actually meet you in person for the first time. For the longest time, I thought you were just the Memphis Grizzlies mascot, so this is nice <laughs> to see face-to-face. Um, but let's cut right to the chase. Obviously, after Game 5, another back-to-back brutal losses for the Suns after these last two games. And, uh, you know, we invited you on here because, <laughs> you know, you've been catching some flack for some, from some Suns fans on Twitter mad. <laughs> over the past 24 hours. Um, and I also had some, some qualms with some of the things you were saying, but I wanted to invite you on so we could get your fuller thoughts because obviously on Twitter, it's hard to properly articulate some of these things. So uh, game Four, Devin Booker drops 42 points, 17 of 28 shooting. Suns fall short. Game five, he drops 40 on the 17 of 33 shooting. They fall short again. Um, I just wanted just to get wanted your to get general, general thoughts on what is wrong with the Suns' approach or why those 40-point performances in your book are not ideal for the Suns in attacking this particular matchup. Okay, so let's start here. A couple of things. Uh, I'm not saying that Devin Booker's why they lost. They lost because of the defense, because the Bucs shot literally 20% better than their expected field goal percentage. This is a Bucs team that almost always, not almost always, a fair amount of the time shoots worse than their expected mark. So like they finally got the bounces. Like they, the Bucs finally got a game where the shooting variance worked out for them. The Suns actually played pretty good defense. If you look at their expected field goal percentages, they actually played pretty good defense. The Bucks hit shots. It was defense. What are you going to do? Play better defense, get some stops, those kind of things. I understand that. I'm with you on that. That's totally fine. The biggest reason that the, the Suns lost game five at home was because of the Bucks' offense. I don't even know it was the Suns' defense, but if we're going to say you got to do something, we'll go there. That's the reason why they lost. I'm not saying Devin Booker had a bad game. I'm not. I'm definitely not saying Devin Booker is an empty stats player, which is what every Suns fan apparently has been triggered by. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Going back to like 2018 or whatever. I haven't made those aspersions about Book in several years. Like, Mm -hmm. I thought he was really good last year. His passing was phenomenal. What's frustrating, actually, for me is I'm like, I know Devin Booker's a really great passer. I've written about how Devin Booker's a really great passer. I've done film breakdowns about how Devin Booker's a really great passer. He can he can absolutely generate offense for others. I'm also not saying that the results were bad. They had a 134 offensive rating with Book on the floor. I get it. I get it. I 100% get it. My point is this. It was a four-point game in the end. It was a three-point game at one point. Mm. As good as the offense was, if it was better, the Suns could have won that game despite the Bucs shooting. And to me, the offense that has gotten the Suns, the NBA Finals, has not been Devin Booker putting on a 2006 Kobe impersonation. impersonation. It has been generating good offense, sharing the ball, and getting three-point shooters like Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson that have driven 
teams and their fans nuts with their shooting. <laughs> That's the best way to do it. You need like games. I don't know how else to put this. You won games one and two when Booker had a great second half of game two, but otherwise in the first three games of the series, book shot 31%, but you were very much in that series going into Milwaukee. You had a bad outcome in game three, game four, Chris Paul plays terribly game five. They win that game. If they can get a few stops, but they also win that game if their offense was a little bit better, which I understand asking, how can 134 not be enough on the offensive rating? How can 37 not be enough given everything that he's done? I understand. My point is, this is the biggest thing, Gerald. I'm being dead serious. You are not going to beat the Milwaukee Bucks unless you shoot more threes than them. End no. dot point blank. That's the end of the conversation. The Bucks under Mike Budenholzer are 16 and two when they hit more threes than their opponent. And you already got one game off of them in this series when that happened in that game one where they mm-hmm. missed layups. Yeah. You cannot win this series if you do not hit more threes than the Milwaukee Bucks. And you're not going to hit more threes with Devin Booker going hero ball. That's going to be the model. As good as the, pro- the results were, the process, I think, has to be better in these the last two games that they need to win if they're going to win the title. No, I think that makes sense. And everything you're saying, I don't disagree with anything. Like if you look at game five in that third quarter, you know, book comes out, he hits his first five shots. The problem is I think the Bucks missed their first two shots in the third. And then they scored on like eight of their next nine possessions. They scored 19 points in that stretch. So Booker going off didn't matter because they couldn't get stops. Um, I think, I think for Suns fans, it is definitely triggering like you use the you use the very correct word on that because it's one of those things where you know obviously he's the guy that the Suns drafted from the start he's the guy that's been here through all the shitty years and like they were really shitty like especially for a franchise that's been here for 53 years hasn't won a title is used to winning games and being in the playoffs and being a good team and this last 10 year stretch like I've lived in the valley this entire time for that stretch and it's been miserable because this used to be a son's town and we're finally seeing it again so he is like the hometown hero he's like the guy that was he wasn't raised here but he basically was because he was here through all the shit so any like nitpicking or, or constructive criticism towards him can be misconstrued I think where the issue for me came in was that like they rode the hero ball for too long I don't think the process like up to that point was bad. They wrote it for too long. And I feel like we're underselling how shell-shocked they were after that second quarter. And this is something you were talking about as well, that like at the start of the second quarter, they actually generated some pretty decent looks. Like they had a couple of good threes, Torrey Craig, Jay Crowder just missed them. Um, and, it, and it seemed like Chris Paul passed up on a couple of mid-range shots and then he hit that one three that was kind of like a breath of fresh air and then they missed their next four shots and by then the Bucks were totally back in the game um so my question is like what did you see from that second quarter stretch and your thoughts on kind of um you know because that's one of those stretches where you need to trust I hate this phrase now but trust the process over the results yeah and it seems like they kind of got away with that because I mean, in my, there was a weird energy in the building for that stretch. Like by halftime, it was silent and it was very 
disconcerting um, for the fan base and probably for the team too, I would imagine. But what were your thoughts on that kind of stretch and getting away from what has gotten them there? This is just an opinion thing. This is, Mm -hmm. I feel like they panicked. I feel like the fans panicked. I feel like the team panicked. It was, they came out and had this big first quarter and were, and I think they expected a run, but they didn't expect a complete collapse. So for the Bucks to lead at the half, they just couldn't get their minds around it. And we're like, what do we do? The, our bullets do nothing. They don't die when you shoot them. Like they just got really panicked. Mm-hmm. And that's when it turned into third quarter. Like this is what I've argued. They didn't give the offense a chance in the third quarter. Like mm-hmm. Booker just came out firing. Mm-hmm. And again, I, like, I don't blame Booker for this. This is a very, very, very key point. Devin Booker is not in a position to where that's the call that he gets to make. Like Monty Williams has to call timeout and be like, we got to run our offense. Like mm-hmm. I will, we're going to get you looks. We're going to get you shots. You're going to have an opportunity. We got to run the offense, like pass the open man, you know, a no. big part of this, they are not doubling Booker. Mm. Like that's, there's data that actually says that there's an article coming out in on five thirty eight tomorrow. That's going to talk about that, mm-hmm. about how, they're not doubling Booker at all. The Milwaukee, I'll, I'll, this is like the simplest way I can put it. The Milwaukee Bucks are completely happy with what the Suns did in game five and in game four. They're good with that. Their model is we're going to shut down Chris Paul with Drew Holiday. Uh, we're going to contain the shooters. We're going to, uh, con- we're not worried about the slip on the switch to mm-hmm. Aiden. We're just not worried about it, which they got to punish that. Mm-hmm. And we're okay if Devin Booker scores 40 because we don't think that they can beat us. They don't, a lot of it is, and it's a very correct assumption. We don't think the Suns can beat us in a two point shooting game. Right. Because we are, we have Giannis on and Kumpo mm-hmm. and they're right. Like a lot of this is if you don't want to blame Devin for game four, I act or game five. I actually agree. Like don't blame him. But you should also say, we can't do that again. Like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a blame thing. Devin thought that he was doing what was best for the team or what his team was telling him to do, right? Right. But their approach from Monty Williams to Chris Paul on down has to be in game six. We've got to run our offense. We've got to get everybody involved get Chris 25 Booker 35 and Crowder and bridges five threes. And you will win that game. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, if you get more offense from everybody, including Aiton, you're going to be in a, in a much better situation. Like that's a lot of this is the Suns have not had to use Aiton. If you're going to punish the bucks from the switch, don't try and hunt a weaker matchup on the perimeter, punish them with the slip. That's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Give Aiden the opportunity to put the pressure back to where they're now worried about that. And they're like, all right, well, let's go back to drop. We got to contain this lob. Because yeah. if you do that, the mid range is wide open for CP3 and Booker. And those are shots off the dribble with a threat that are not contested, that are open. Like those are quality looks, even if they're in the mid range, they'll have to bring help over and then you can kick to the shooters. But you can't lean into what the Milwaukee Bucks want you to do. Right. Even and if you, you had great offense in, in game five. 
Yeah. And I mean, you're, you're right because it was very noticeable that they were not sending double teams at Booker, despite the fact that he was heating up and going off in that third quarter. Um, and that process worked out because he started five for five, but he finished the quarter, I think one for six after that, the rest of the way. And he was dog tired by the end of that quarter. I think, I think his last two shots were air balls um, in that period. So they were totally fine with that. Um, I think like when it comes to Aiton, the troubling part is like, I, I was actually kind of shocked to look at the box score and saw that he had 20 at all because it just felt like he bobbled a couple passes on the interior. They only committed nine turnovers, but I think two of them were him just not catching balls like right in the paint there. Um, and it's been kind of weird because he has been for most of these playoffs phenomenal for them. He's been their X factor in every single series, like first round against Anthony Davis and Andre Drummond second round. He, you know, limits Nikola Jokic relatively speaking as much as you're going to limit a guy like that. And then in the third round, he was able to stay on the floor a little bit better against those small ball lineups than, you know, Rudy Gobert was in the series that we saw before. So it has been kind of uh, interesting to see how he's faded a little bit. And I think that goes to what you're saying as far as like, if you look at the Suns potential assists per game, it's trending in the very wrong direction and pretty drastically too. Um, And Booker ISOs are going up. So you're not wrong in any of this, um, but I did want to have you on because well, you can push back. Like, a lot okay, of Drill, like you can push back on me. I'm just, you know, for me, it's, it's, I get why there's this inclination to protect him because he's mm-hmm. the one they drafted and they've defended him and they've taken so much shit for him <laughs> through the years. I get it. But like, I'm not trying to do that. I'm not coming out here and being like, Devin Booker is a selfish player that hurt his team in game five. Is he made of the real stuff of a champion? Find out next on First Opinion. I'm not doing that. I'm saying you could have won that game if you beat the Bucks at the three-point line. Right. Like, I don't, I, I'm not trying to reduce everything to numbers but you are not going to if you do not win the math game versus milwaukee their defense is better than yours they're bigger than you you Mm. lost your small ball five which sucks and is unfair um and also just like i think a lot of this there's a very consistent like chris paul can't go left chris paul is hurt Mm. trend from suns fans on twitter Mm. the man still had 21 on 60 percent shooting with 11 assists like even if he's injured, which I think is right, if you trust in him more, I still think he's going to figure it out. Like, the, they won the first quarter, which was not Booker hero ball. They lost the second quarter, which Booker didn't play much of, and which was absolutely a disaster because they played badly. Mm-hmm. They lost the third quarter by seven when Booker went nuclear. They won the fourth quarter when, when they back to running the offense. Mm-hmm. like i don't to me this is just like look do, do you you don't get to you may not get to choose both ways here you don't get to choose devin booker has a heroic performance and the suns win you may have to choose between those two things right see that but that's that's where i would push back is is there's not just one way for devin booker to go off like i, I feel like he like not in the wrong way but i feel like what you're saying is correct as far as the way he was going nuclear in the third quarter 
was playing right into what the Bucks want because it's a lot of mid-range twos and on the other end they're getting threes and like the three-point thing is huge because they only attempted 19 they made yes. 13 of them they only attempted 19 though and yeah. that's you're not going to win a lot of games like that even if you are making 60 yep. some percent of your threes um I think, I mean, we saw in game two, obviously he did, I think he was four for 12 at halftime and then he was eight for 13 in the second half of game two, but like he can go off, but like you're saying it's, you know, that was a 32 point performance versus 40 and 42. So I feel like finding the happy balance is definitely the thing. I don't think they have to choose between a Devin Booker great game. And this is probably where the confusion lies on Twitter is like the implication that if Devin Booker has a great game, it's to the detriment of his team. No, right. it's like the specific way that he has a great game that matters. I'm not sitting um, here saying like Devin Booker should play badly. They'll be better right, off right. play badly. Like, no, like a lot of it is, I think you can get good distribution of him on, I, like, I don't mind like sprinkling in ISOs and sprinkling in those kind of situations. That's fine. Like mm. a lot of it is that gets rest for CP three, right? Like mm. the rest of the team gets a rest for defense when Booker's doing everything. I think it's also though a question of he's done this twice in a row. I don't think that you can count on him to be efficient for another two wins doing this. That's a tough bar to ask when he's not taking threes. It is. And and he's kind of gotten away from the three point thing. And I think that'll be a point of emphasis. I mean, cause after game five, Monty, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, they all acknowledged it in their post game interviews that like the ball has to move. It wasn't moving. It got like, too bogged down. So, so why am I, this is my question, Gerald, <laughs> is if, is if the coach and the players are all saying the ball's got to move, why am I in trouble for saying the ball's got to move? I think you're in trouble because the way that you phrased it, especially with like the finals MVP conversation is yeah. like, if he, if he plays well, if they both play well from here, I think Devin Booker and the Suns do pull off two wins in a row somehow. I feel like Devin Booker is the, the pretty obvious choice just because finals voters are going to look at the raw averages and be like, okay, he averaged 30, 30 plus and he shot efficiently. They're not, I don't think they're going to nitpick. Cause like even in game one, he shot like eight for 21 or whatever it was, but yeah. he did hit like timely buckets in the second half when the bucks were kind of pushing back to I give mean, them some had, breathing room. He had room. a ton of free throws in that game. He like, did. He had 10 times. Yeah. So to me, I'm, I disagree on this. I think if you look back and you go, how did the bucks win? Like how did, if you look back and you go, all right, in the four wins that the Suns got, what was the difference? And it was game one was Chris Paul. Game two was Chris Paul. Like Devin had a great second half. I just keep coming back to the stat over the first three games outside of the second half of game two, that's five halves, mm. right? Like at five out of six halves, he shot 31% from the field. Like he was bad. The first three games, the bucks were still, or the Suns were still up to one, right? Mm. If they finish the series off, I'm asking the reason that I asked that question was, can they win in this series? behind a game like last night going forward and your answer would be well yeah they had a 134 offensive rating if the bucks don't just shoot the absolute lights out of the ball the suns <laughs> win that game and it's fine mm. my counter would be i don't think that booker can sustain that kind of performance and it's at the detriment and again you can go back to game four where he had that massive scoring performance and that game the bucks won with the offensive rebounding mm -hmm. So 
again, we're, we're back to the math problem. If right. you do not outpace them from three, you're not going to win. Your mid-range shots from your, your incredible, should be an all-star, phenomenal, you guys were right about him, <laughs> superstar, is not going to beat the Milwaukee Bucks because they're going to generate offensive rebounds and threes. Like That's what they're doing right now, is they're generating offensive rebounds for putbacks and threes. Like this is very, I don't mean to make this into an analytics thing because I think Chris Paul is one of those guys that can take as many, like has as many mid range jump shots as he wants. And book's been really good too, but there is a point where you're up against it. Like you've got to be able to punish it when that's like the leverage point, mm-hmm. but it's not a meal. You, your meals got to be generating dunks for Deandre Ayton, three pointers off of good passes and some of that Booker stuff in between. It, it can't Devin Booker's offense is not the meal that's that's going to get the the sun to the title if they're going to win these next two games I think it's going to have to be behind a, a big Chris Paul performance and if that's the mm-hmm. case then I think Chris Paul wins finals MVP even if Booker has really good games in the series because ultimately even if you want to say it's not Booker's fault and I agree with you mm-hmm. let me rephrase even <laughs> if it's not Booker's fault that they lost the games that he went great he was great in they still lost the games he was great in. So the reason they won the series would ultimately be Chris Paul's performance. Okay. I, that makes sense. I, I think we're not giving, in this case, Devin Booker's second half in game two enough credit. Cause I mean, he was bad. He wasn't great in the first half, mm-hmm. but I mean, his second half is what finished off that game. That's um, fair. But here's the thing. Look at the narrative from game two. Right, mm-hmm. like the narrative off a of game two, all the headlines were about basically the Suns hitting 23s. Yeah, like it was about like here is Chris Paul's line, and here's all these other guys, and then third was like, oh yeah, Booker had a good game too, and so like Booker played really great in that second half. He absolutely mm-hmm. did. You're right that he helped put them away. I don't yeah. disagree with that, but again, like isn't that like the model here that he has like a good performance alongside everybody else, and that produces a double digit win for the Suns? No, you're right. And that's, that is why I wanted to have you on the pod so we could flesh out these ideas that Twitter can be so restrictive on with the tweet limit. Um, Let's switch topics to the Chris Paul thing, because we've mentioned this briefly, but um, it does seem like he is not, or at least for the last three games, I think the first two games, he looked perfectly fine by all counts, minus Drew Holiday doing what Drew Holiday does. He's just, I mean, that's been a huge adjustment for this entire series. Just, and we, God, I swear Suns fans must, if they're like me, they get a panic attack every time Chris Paul backs his way down to half court because he's always doing that where he's crossing the line with like 17, 16 seconds left on the clock. And with Drew Holiday, it's been even more noticeable because they're just hounding him the whole way. He's doing a great job, but like, it doesn't seem like, all of it is on holiday. And we also disagreed on this as far as the first half or the first three quarters of game five, where to me, it didn't look like Chris Paul was comfortable. Like the numbers, like I think he shot 50% at halftime where he was like five for 11 through the first three quarters. And then in the fourth quarter, he had 10 points, six assists, shot four of four, looked fantastic. And not coincidentally, the Suns, you know, carved their way back into that game the ball was moving, everything looked great again. My question to you is, do you think Chris Paul is 100% right now? And like, what have you 
seen from him, especially in these last couple of games? Obviously, game four was a stinker, but in this last one especially, what have, what have you noticed? So, I mean, at halftime, just for the numbers, um, four of eight shooting, nine points, six assists. He hasn't drawn free throws because he can't drive. Um, right. <laughs> because Drew's, Drew's on him and forcing him uh, to his left. And there's great rim protection. Like, the Bucks are an excellent defensive team, and there's great rim protection there. I, I, I'll just say this. I didn't think that Chris Paul was playing badly. I, I just, I really didn't. Like, you look at the first half, and again, we're looking at 51% from the field, 58% from three um, in the first half there. Like, if we, let's dig down into the quarter, into the second quarter. Um, Jay Crowder was one of four. Booker was one of four. Chris was uh, three of seven in the second quarter. So, like, that's the one where you can kind of ding him and say seven points on seven shots to assist nobody was hitting anything cameron Payne was two of five mm-hmm. i'll say i want to i do want to say this um if there is a guy that i actually kind of blame for the non-booker minutes it's not paul i think it's pain because yeah. pain can't he can't run an offense you gotta you have to this is the big thing you gotta get the bucks in rotation mm-hmm. and you did that in games one and two they haven't done that since they are switching everything and it's like, all right, let's go try and attack the switches. Right. Go back to the Warriors versus the Rockets. This is not the way. Like, <laughs> do not lean into what they want you to do. And even though you're like, but I can beat it, it's never going to be efficient enough. Mm. And so if they're they're running all that kind of stuff, like you've just got to run your offense. And a lot of that I will say is on Paul where whether it's him or somebody else, what they need to do is like, they genuinely need to punish those situations. If it's Giannis on the floor or off the floor rather, which is what happened in that second quarter, which is what makes Mm -hmm. it all the, like the wilder, like six minutes of that, of that second quarter was Brooke Lopez, Drew Holiday, mid Portis and Connaughton. Mm -hmm. Okay. If that's the lineup, they are going to play drop. Right. And if they're going to play drop, Chris Paul's going to run, pick and roll. If Holiday fouls you, he fouls you. If he blocks you, he blocks you. Mm -hmm. But you have got to punish that to where they are like, okay, he's getting us. Let's bring some help. Because in games one and two, that's what happened. And they got corner threes out of it. And everybody's Mm like yelling at Milwaukee, like you can't be giving up corner threes to the Suns. (laughs) And they've just completely gone away from it because they've lent more. and, And it's hard. And Holiday's played great. But your screens have to be better. And Paul's just got to be faster in terms of, okay, I'm coming off of this. If I don't feel him immediately there to block me and Brooks and drop, I'm rising up for a mid-range shot. I'm just going to take that mid-range. You hit that three times in a row and you're stressing their game plan discipline. Mm-hmm. And once the bucks start to crack and they're like, I can't let him cook. He's cooking. He's cooking Brooke. <laughs> they start helping over. And then the corner three is there. And now you're in business. Now you're hitting them from all angles and they don't know what to do. But you've got to be the one to put them on the edge to get them off kilter, to get them on. Their defense needs to be uncomfortable. And their defense has been really comfortable the last three games of the series. It has been. And I I think that was probably the biggest thing that stood out for me with the second quarter, um, especially in terms of Chris Paul, was there were a couple of of looks that he could have had with that Mm -hmm. drop coverage where he could have pulled up 
Um, and I think there was a three as well that he could have had and pulled up and he just didn't pull it. So it, it was kind of uh, eerily reminiscent of, of what we saw in the Lakers series when he was playing with one arm um, for part of the Clippers series. Like it, it just kind of was triggering, I guess, in that way. And, and the reminder that it was because like he's, yeah. he's just, and, and just like the handle looks a little bit looser to me. Like it, he's not committing turnovers a ton. I, there was one pass that he threw to Mikhail Bridges that was off target and Bridges got credited with the turnover there. I think it was like in the first minute of the game, but it's just like little things like that where it doesn't seem like he's, he's not bad. He's not hurting the team, but he's like, it's not full point God. And maybe we're just being greedy because the guy's 36 and like there's bound to be some regression as he gets older, especially in a final series where he's played the whole season basically. But um, it is interesting though, because I was looking, you know, obviously these on off numbers are, are going to be skewed with five games and, and such yeah. variance. And, and who knows what's going to happen in these next one to two games. Like the narrative could totally flip based on, the sample size we're dealing with but it is it was bizarre to me and i had to double check this was right that the suns have a 6.3 net rating with devin booker on the floor in his 195 minutes and in his 45 minutes off the floor it drops to minus 38 net rating which is stupid and and not even great. if you no it's not great and even if you go you like take game five out of the equation because that second quarter was massive um i think it's still like 4.8 net rating with him minus 24.4 without him. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can't look at just on off net rating for to decide finals MVP, but I would contend that the Suns have really struggled without Booker on the court. And part of that is because he's instrumental to what you've been talking about as far as moving the damn ball and not just falling into what the Bucks want them to do. But um, we've kind of already covered this, but broad strokes what do the suns need to do to win this incredibly tough game six on the road where all the momentum is in milwaukee's favor that crowd is going to be loud and you know they've lost back-to-back -back heartbreakers that's that's tough to rebound from yeah. i i think the number one thing is you have hope because the bucks just had their best shooting performance of the last three years <laughs> Right. I'm not kidding you. This was the best performance against expected mark of the of the Budenholzer era. Mm -hmm. They were plus uh, 19. It was crazy how much how well they shot. Typically speaking, typically not every time. Typically speaking, in the the broad the broad trend is that that usually regresses the next game. With the box, I think it's even more likely because they just tend to have these games where you're just like, God, they cannot make any. Like they had it in game one. Where it was like, because the Suns fans were like, they hit all these threes and we still won. And I was like, yeah, but they missed every single layup. Like they missed all of the layups inside. They were minus five on layups versus expected mark. So they're likely to regress. I think this next one's probably going to be ugly and it's going to be tight. You won series, you've won games like that before. You won the game versus the Clippers, which was an absolute rock fight where they couldn't oh win. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's gonna be a lot like that. And in that case, like you need Devin Booker to be able to hit some shots. I think in the flow of that game, like this is a, also part of the thing I wanted to say. A lot of it for me is in the flow of a game where it's a shootout, you want to create as good a looks as possible. In a game where it's nasty like that, it's fine to do hero ball stuff because the efficiency overall for the game for both sides is the whole margin is truncated 
So you're in a little bit where it's like, all right, tough shot makers make tough shots that can win. Um, I'm just going to beat the dead horse here, Gerald, make more threes, just shoot, yeah. shoot them. Shoot even if you threes. don't make them shoot more, <laughs> just generate more. Because honestly, that's even if you're just shooting a lot, they're going to start closing out more, which gives you opportunities to feed it inside and get easy buckets to aid. Like mm. uh, there are some things defensively that need to be better. This was the first game in the playoffs that I can remember that I can genuinely say going back when I watched Jay Crowder was bad defensively. Mm -hmm. He's been yeah. great these entire playoffs. His closeouts on Middleton were disastrous. Like he was just ball watching and late and just a step slow. He, he especially, I think, got sucked up into they were rolling in the first quarter and got really whiplash when it just it's like, oh, this is back to a, like a really close game. Mm -hmm. Tighten that up. Feed DeAndre Ayton more get get 30 for Devin Booker on a good amount of shots that's fine but I think that you can you win this game if you if your rim protection is better give the effort that you saw the Bucks give in game four on the offensive glass I yeah. I don't know like a lot of this is just they're bigger and I get it but you're just gonna have to beat them to the ball I don't I don't have anything better than this which when you go back and you watch those things, it wasn't just Giannis. Like Drew Holiday and Pat Connaughton are grabbing offensive rebounds. You've mm -hmm. got to beat them to the ball. The 50-50 balls have got to go Phoenix's way. And I'm not a big, like, ooh, try harder. Give great effort. I'm not right. one of those guys. This is a, you're going to have to give absolutely everything, and you're going to have to give absolutely everything on rebounds. If you do not let them generate more than a point per possession on second-chance points, you are in a good spot. Get the math back in your favor. You win this game. You're back to Phoenix. You've been great there. They're a worse shooting team. Home teams usually win game seven. You're fine. But you're going to have to win this next one with heart and hustle. Yeah, I agree. Because if you look at the, the combined points off turnovers, fast break points, second chance points, they lost that battle 85 to 84 in the first two games. So not bad. Only lost by one point. The next two games they lost... 111 to 30 in those three categories which is uh you're not going to win a lot of games like that and even in game five it was only they only lost by six but it's one of those things where you're right the the hustle has to be there the heart has to be there they have to win some 50 50 balls for once i mean some of it really i will say this some of it really is Thing, and there's just not really a guy like i like etwan more a lot but he doesn't solve your problem like mm -hmm. you need somebody that can come in and just play the you need a non-kaminsky player to take the kaminsky role <laughs> yeah i'm not like it's it's really brutal that this team has so much depth at point guard and shooting guard and small forward and power forward and the one position that they need in the finals they're short on. That's the only position they're if they were versus Brooklyn, they'd be in a fine position. If they were versus the Sixers, it would be tough with Joel Embiid. But honestly, you'd be kind of matching their small ball with your small ball. And you're like, that works out okay. You came up against the one team that are like, yeah, they're massive when they start with Brooke Lopez and Giannis. And then when they go small, they're still massive because Giannis is at five. Like yeah. you need another body and they just don't have one. Yeah, not having Dario Saric has definitely hurt them as far as just, I mean, because he's he's strong down there too. He's not going to, 
he's not going to contest a lot of shots in the paint, but he puts a body out there and what he does as a connector on the other end, especially on the perimeter and stretching the floor a little bit that they've missed that a little bit, but uh, Matt, I appreciate you coming on. I'm glad that we were able to clarify that you are not blaming Devin Booker. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, it, especially speaking for me, I think it was easy to interpret it, especially after such a tough loss where the yeah. guy goes off and it, and it feels like he didn't get enough help as the implication is like, okay, this is, you know, if Devin Booker had done this, maybe they would have won. That's not exactly what you were saying. So I'm glad we were able to clarify that and hopefully ease your Twitter feed a little bit tomorrow. Well, look, and... I, look I, I, I get it because it's the day after a brutal finals loss the second in a row. Mm-hmm. And like, you're right there at the doorstep. You were there and you were there mm-hmm. in both games. I, I, so I understand that. Um, the big thing here is just like, I can talk about how the process was bad, even by recognizing like, look, no, this wasn't on Devin. The defense was the problem, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera but you're still okay. I've been a, like, I've been a friend of the Suns this year. I've talked about how great they were versus good teams all year. Like, I mean, they've, they've been awesome. You're still in this, um, hang in there. I, I was, this is the last thing. This has been a tough series for me because, um, it started off the series with me thinking like, I'm happy with whoever wins this series. And it had the way it has gone has now shifted to I'm heartbroken for whoever does not win this series. Oh, like yeah. this is it's just a heartbreaking <laughs> series for whoever loses losing the finals is tough but it's different for various franchises this one i'm just like no i don't want, oh my god <laughs> poor guys oh, oh yeah because you're dealing with 50 years of history either way yeah. you slice it you're dealing with two fan bases that have been waiting two small market teams and yeah. you go back to man i swear that kareem troll job that he did on twitter totally changed the series because ever since that video it's been zero and three for the Suns. but um i appreciate you coming on and, and uh talking to me about all this stuff tell the people where they can read your work listen to your podcast plug whatever you want to plug Hey, thanks. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at HP Basketball. You can find me uh, on the Action Network app, which is the best way to track scores. Uh, and you can, if you want to listen to more of my takes, you can find me on uh, at Locked On NBA on Thursdays. You can find me covering Nuggets at Locked On and Nuggets, uh, and every week on the Action Network podcast as well. Awesome, man. Busy man. Um, love it. That's going to do it for this episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please feel free to write me a five-star review if you're enjoying the show. Tell your friends. Subscribe. But until next time, this is Gerald Borgay signing off.